Hello and welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you for another hour of podcasting greatness here on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and with video on YouTube. And I believe we are now on um, iHeartRadio and um, Spotify. So that's that's happy news for the expansion of my podcast here. And I'll just say right at the top of the show, if uh, I would very, very much like to grow this show and my channel. So please do, if you are enjoying my channel and my shows, please do uh, like, share, spread the good word out there amongst your social contacts, because uh, I think that there's a lot here of good stuff to share. And on that note, this week we are doing something really different. I mean, we're really going into something I have never done a show about. Yet, my entire life, I have been absolutely fascinated by the topic of vampires. And so when the opportunity presented itself for me to do a podcast episode about this subject, I jumped at it. And I am welcoming here today AP Sylvia. Now, uh, welcome to the show, AP. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to have you here. Now, you have just, you've written a book called Vampires of Lore, Traits and Modern Misconceptions, to, which goes into, you know, our current ideas about vampires, and you sort of break it down trait by trait and show where those things came from and how they relate to modern thinking and ancient thinking. And I, I, I actually, I, I really want to get a hold of this book, but I am fascinated by the way you've done it because I thought to myself, as fascinating as a topic that this has been my whole life. I mean, I've really done some deep dives and as, as a teenager on what vampire lore is and all of that, and I'm not, mm-hmm. not going to try to throw that around in the show here. I just, uh, just because I think I've forgotten 90% of it. But I think that it's it's just a, such a fascinating topic to me, and it always has been. Um, how has this been a topic for of interest for you? Um, well, I've sort of always been interested in kind of supernatural beliefs and that kind of thing. Um, even, uh, a while ago, I was going through some, uh, some old books I had from when I was a kid and I ran across, uh, a book about ghosts that, uh, that I had gotten, uh, as a kind of a small boy. Um, so I've always sort of been interested in, in this kind of stuff. Um, but what really kind of got me down this particular path with vampires, um, it goes back a few years ago. Uh, it was when I was, uh, I was in, uh, New York city in times square and uh, walking around there, uh, we uh, we ran across uh, a Ripley's Believe It or Not museum. I'm not sure. Have you ever been to one of those? I have, because there was one in Hollywood. Yes, I've been to that one as well. Yes. Yeah, because I, I lived and worked in Hollywood for 17 years, so we would walk by that sometimes, and then I finally dared to go in there one day. <laughs> it's kind of yes. a weird place. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, 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 I love those places. They're, they're, they're great. They're right up my alley. Mm-hmm. Um, so I uh, went to the one, uh, I was in Times Square, and um, kind of checking out all the different sort of objects and things they have, strange artifacts and whatnot. And one of the things that they had um, was behind glass. It was this old wooden box and it had like a cross in it and these vials of different things. And uh, it was like a pistol and uh, silver bullet mold and stuff. And it was labeled as a 19th century vampire killing kit. Really? 
Yes. Because you yes. see that in the old cult classic, you know, the Hammer films and the old yeah. horror movies. You see that kit being carried around by the vampire hunters. Yeah, they've got all their stuff. You know, they open it yeah. up, they've got all their stuff inside ready to go. So they had the, so they have this thing uh, in uh, at Ripley's and... Um, it's uh, the label kind of says like, oh, this was sold to, to people who are traveling to Eastern Europe, you know, uh, and, you know, in the 19th century. Um, and I just I thought it was the coolest thing. I thought it looked so neat. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, you know, sometime later, I'm, I'm back home and my mind kind of wanders back to that thing. I'm like, what's I'm like, what's the story with that thing? I got to find out more about these kits. What was going on? Um, so I, uh, I took to the Internet, did some Googling. And I, I wound up finding that there's actually a bit of uh, controversy or disagreement around these kits. Hmm. So uh, Ripley's owns, owns a number of them, and they have them in various, uh, in you know, their various uh, museums. Um, and they maintain that they're authentic. But there are some other kits around. There are some in other museums. And some have argued that the kits actually don't date to the 1800s. Mm. The, the argument is that they that people in the 20th century uh, took uh, period objects and then assembled them together to make a kit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, so, you would, it, would, um, it would be harder to tell with a situation like that. It is. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Um so th- one of the arguments for that was the uh, was that uh, one person was asserting like, well, these kits kind of they represent sort of the the pop culture view of vampires, like the Hammer movies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't reflect actual folklore, and sort of that that <clears throat> that statement kind of sort of got me on a deeper track of like, well, what did people believe about vampires, mm-hmm. right? What well, what was the folkloric thinking versus the pop culture thinking? Um, and I, I knew that there were differences just from kind of my general interest and I'd watched some documentaries about it and stuff like that. Um, but I kind of wanted to really find out, I'm like, I really want a breakdown of this, of this stuff. So I started sort of just, you know, on the internet or whatever, kind of searching around and I couldn't quite find anything that gave me the information in the way that I wanted it, sort of uh, trait by trait, mm. you know, going into each one, looking for looking for sort of the origins and that kind of thing. No one seemed no no one seemed to to have all of that, and so I started researching these different things, and I I sort of just ended up writing the book that I wanted to read. <laughs> right, exactly. I'll tell you. I mean, just from the description of your book and the way we've been talking already. I, I am quite positive that that would be the book I would write if I was going to write a book about nonfiction book about vampires. Right. I would go, I would probably go in that direction because I have had the exact same questions. What is up with the holy water? What's up with the cross? What's up with the garlic? And I have answers for some of those questions in the ancient lore and legends that I went and looked at. But I don't know if I found the definitive answers. I found a answer and it appeared to be satisfactory to me at the time. But I, you know, I don't know if what I'm sitting on is the right data or not. I haven't even, I don't, you know, sit around thinking about this all the time. But it's, uh, I just find it to be so damn interesting. Because it's a way of tracing the, you know, the, the, um, uh, well, how they develop. The development. The the evolution of them. Evolution. There's the word I was looking for. But I kept thinking EP. Anyway, yeah, the evolution of our folklore. Because right. it's, kind of it's kind of a direct, you can, you can draw a direct line and, and take it all the way to the present and see 
how it was screwed around with over time and why and and what happened. And I, I just find this stuff endlessly fascinating in the same way I find wordplay interesting, the way words have evolved and the, the meanings change because of cultural factors and things like that, that the cultural factors change and pass, but the word stays the same or stays with that same new meaning and we lose the idea of why it ever changed, you know? Uh, anyway, I, I, I'm wondering, what what did you find? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there it, I found a lot. There was a lot there. There was a lot to kind of sift through. Um, certainly a lot of surprises, things that I wasn't necessarily expecting to find. Mm. Some things that uh, confirmed uh, things that, you know, we, we do we do consider to be vampiric today. Um, and, uh, the book took quite a while to, I mean, it took me a couple of years, I think, to write, to write the thing. I was going to ask um, oh, how much research was this? Was this a major activity for you or a ho hobby kind of activity? How did this work? I, was, I did it in my spare time, to be honest with you. It was yeah. kind of a, kind of a hobby and just sort of an interest. Um, and I just sort of di uh, started diving into things. Um, you know, uh, my, my approach to it, um, was that, uh, I tried to go back, uh, sort of as far as I could and tried to read you know, older sources, period sources, pre-20th century, mm -hmm. if I could. Because one of the things I kind of found uh, sort of early on in the process was that I would read maybe a summary of an old tale like that, that a modern person had written, say on, on the internet or an article or, or where, wherever. Mm -hmm. um, I would, I would, I, this had me and I would read it and I'd say, oh, you know, oh, okay. That, oh, these things that we considered to be, you know, sort of traits of a vampire. Oh, I guess they were in these old stories. And then if I went back and read the original tale, suddenly a lot of these things weren't there anymore. Mm. And so I think what happens is, is that some, some writers, uh, knowingly or not, they let their preconceived notions about vampires kind of inject things or interpret things a certain way, and it winds up sort of changing the story. So you really mm -hmm. want to, and, and especially, you know, when you think about it, the, the vampire has such, there's sort of such strong imagery we have for a vampire right now in terms of what you expect to see, but you really need to sort of move away from that stuff. So I tried to go back uh, when I could, I did use some 20th century sources, but uh, I, I tried to kind of go towards more like scholarly things and things like that when possible. Mm -hmm. um, and just sort of be judicious about what, what you're, what you're picking. But, you know, I mean, I wound up, um, I wound up having around like 90 some odd sources or something like that in my bibliography for this thing. So this um, was a so, this was an honest effort at a real look at where this lore comes from. And it's more than just the sort of development of vampires in the movies or something. You're taking this way back. You're going yes, all the way back. Yes. I'm trying to I was trying to look at sort of the the folklore and the legends and the the true beliefs that people had. And sort of compare that to what we think of vampires today in movies and TV shows and books and things like right. that. And sort of see where those differences are and sort of deconstruct our modern vampire and then sort of reveal the folkloric vampire behind it. So uh, should we go right to the spoiler or should we? <laughs> well, what I'm curious about, of course, is, okay, so you've done this research now. You've got this, you know, all this knowledge. So... Here we have the modern vampire, and if we talk modern vampire, are we talking, you know, 20th, 21st century, or are we just, or are we saying from Dracula forward, or what are we, what, what defines for you the modern take on the vampire? 
Well, um, I in the book, in terms of coming up with the traits, I sort of thought about present day, kind of what you think of for a vampire, especially for like Halloween imagery or something okay. like that. You know, okay. like when Halloween rolls around and there's some cartoon vampires, you know, on a sign or advertising or in a, or in a show or something like that. There's a very sort of definitive kind of look and, and kind of what they do and that kind of thing. So I sort of went with the baseline there. Um, but in the book, I kind of explore... I explore how, you know, we have the folkloric vampires, but I also talk about uh, 19th century literature, which made a number of significant changes to sort of how the van, what people perceived to be a vampire, how it operated. Obviously, late 1800s, Bram Stoker, right, you know, comes out with Dracula, right. which, you know, I, you know, I, I you know, I, I don't think you can overstate you know stoker's impact on right. you know the fictional vampire i mean his right. his shadow looms quite large um i mean everyone knows count dracula right, right. and when you everyone. talk about halloween imagery that's the imagery that's, that's used that's it it's count it's count dracula count. Right? i mean they got the, the nice clothes that sometimes he's even wearing a little metal little metal yeah, yeah. and he's always got the hair brushed back and you know, and then the oversized canines. You know, got the, yep, got the big, got the big canines. You'll see the, you'll see the, the vampire. They have the, the cape, and they might hold it up, kind of like bat wings. Yep. You know, they kind of loom out and stuff like that. That's right. But I mean, it's, it's interesting to think. You know, before Sto- before Stoker came out with Dracula, like no one knew who Dracula was. Like it wasn't a thing, right? Well, that's what I'm wondering. That's actually what I'm wondering because, of course, we have this idea that it goes back to Vlad the Impaler. I want to ask. Before we get into that history, and we're definitely going to in just a minute, but I wanted to ask, um, it seems that all of the films, mainline books and stuff that were written um, around the subject of vampires or using vampires as the theme uses the Dracula model or or very tiny variations of the Dracula model. Is that in itself, do you think that's a factual statement? Um, I mean, I think, you know, Dracula, I think, impacts any, any, you know, whenever someone's coming up with sort of a, a vampire, mm-hmm. you know, fiction of any kind, you know, TV or something like that, you know, vamp- Dracula's in your mind. He's going he's gonna to be there in some fashion. I think, you know, especially these days, people like to take the vampire in new directions. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there's like, <clears throat> there's like a sci-fi, there's like a sci-fi aspect to it, right? Mm-hmm. So vampire, you know, the vampire vampirism is caused by like a virus or something like that. Oh, right? there is that. There is that. And yet right? the characteristics so like, so, of the vampires remain fangs, to a certain blood. Extent, right, right. But like right. The, the core behind it, like, oh, well, it's a virus now, not, you know. So, th- so people are taking it and it grows and adapts and it changes over time. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's, if you're doing like a vampire, I think like if you're going to do like a vampire uh, show or something like that, and you're going to deviate from some of those things, usually you kind of have to explain why, you know, you kind of have to like toss it. Well, I thought vampires said, no, 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 they don't. Duh, duh, duh. Right. But you still have to like, kind of like, you know, you have to sort of point it out almost because audience audiences have certain expectations, right? So if you're, if you're producing something, you need to sort of take that into account. Right. That well, of course, and I think we're talking. Um, like for example, an example is what Guillermo del Toro did with that TV show they did uh, on FX a couple of years ago. Um, it was based on a book, and of course, the name is escaping me right now. But it was the strain. Was that what it the was? The strain. That's right. And it was a. Vi- it was vampirism as a virus. 
and yes. and they ended up having these you know things these tentacles shoot out of their mouth and stuff but it was it was that this was what was the old vampire legends were all based on was this was the reality sort of at how how it was put forward and then vampires take over new york city and then then the world um, which you would think they would do pretty quickly if they actually had those kind of powers. I mean, what would stop them, you know? Where they been? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so you see variations like that. I um, I grew up on uh, Dracula with Frank Langella and Lost Boys. Um, mm-hmm. You know, They Thirst uh, by Robert McCammon, you know, was, uh, Stephen King's um, Salem's Lot. Uh, you know, this was the stuff I've, uh, that I grew up on. I was literally reading Salem's Lot when I was like 11 years old, you know, and I just couldn't, I read, it's my favorite Stephen King book because I love vampires so much. So I was very much raised on that sort of standard model, I guess you could say. And I appreciated what Del Toro and, and The Strain did with making it into a virus. I went, now that's, that's a nice variation. I like seeing that. I like seeing some creativity with that. Um, how far back is is Dracula the seminal point of that way of thinking about vampires then? Um, I mean, I think I think, you know, just Drac- Dracula, I mean, the novel was sort of a, a culmination, I think, of of other of a trend in the 19th century of mm. changing kind of what a vampire was. Um mm. And we can so there of, were other works in the 19th century about vampires. Oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, pray oh, tell. Absolutely. Play, play, I mean, all we really know about is Dracula. So you, you know, you're, sure, your sure. average Joe, so, Dracula, Dracula, Dracula. You know, right, right. What, I what mean, else again, was there? He's, he's a he's a household name, right? Uh, so I guess maybe I'll, I'll I'll kind of do sort of a brief overview of sort of the evolution, right? So yeah, when you look back to the the folkloric vampire, mm-hmm. um, these you know. The folkloric vampire was, you know, a scare, a scare, you know, scary thing. Um, that was off. It was, it was, you know, these were real events that that happened where people thought, oh my goodness, this person who was in our community who passed away is now causing illness and death in in living people, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, this might have been a friend or a loved one or something like that. That pe- that suspicion falls on them that they are a vampire, right? Um, and you have, you know, you have legends surrounding this, but then you actually also have like historical accounts where people believe this was happening and took action because of it. Mm-hmm. Same as in witches. The ninth- Pardon me? Same as witches. Witches were Absolutely. real. Yes. They, 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 it, was Absolutely. Not a, it was not some hyperbole. She's a witch. That means she practices black magic. She's literally in league with Satan. We got to go burn her. It's the only thing yeah, we can do. It's, it's, it's like people that. believe that that the there was a supernatural force having a real effect on their lives right yeah so in the 19th in the the 19th century there's a few different works of literature that i talk about in the book that really had an impact on changing things what one one of them which was in uh, it was written in i believe it was 1819 um by uh a guy named uh it was dr polidori and he wrote this novella um called the vampire and in this in this book, the vampire's name is uh, Lord Ruthven, and he is uh, he's a nobleman, and he's kind of this suave, mysterious fellow uh, who had you know who this this young man kind of befriends him, and they co- they kind of 
uh, to tra- travel around Europe a bit. And he realizes that this guy has, you know, this sort of detrimental effect on people around him and stuff like that. And ultimately, you know, Lord Ruthven is a vampire, right? So this, this one's important. And I, and I also mentioned, um, Polidor, it was the, the, no- the novella was, uh, often attributed to Lord Byron, famous poet. Oh, um, that's that, where Byron comes into that. Cause that always sort of sounded a little weird to me that he was writing about vampires. Uh, yeah, he, he did. Yeah. So he didn't, he didn't write it. His, his personal physician wrote, <laughs> wrote it. <laughs> Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah. And so some people, uh, wonder apparently, uh, Polidori and Byron didn't get along very well. Hmm. Um, so some people think that Polidori kind of, Models the you know Lord Ruthven after oh, Byron. Oh, interesting. Okay, I yeah. was wondering where that look came from. This was a now. This was this the first of what would be a new look for vampires. In this, terms is, of this, this is this is this is kind thing? of this is yes. This is kind of changing direction here yeah. with with, van, with vampires. Because prior kind of to this, and we'll get into details about it. But prior to this, they were kind of guttural, like undead or there when there were a lot of you didn't want to hang out with of it yeah they weren't yeah. things you'd be chilling with or hanging out with no you you wouldn't want to you wouldn't really be hanging out with them all that much there right. there were uh you know you were scared of them and people people kind of you know they it's a vampire don't don't hang out with them <laughs> right. um but yeah but, so, but this, was a, so this was a sort of infiltration into society that's exactly it so yeah. it change it changes right so now the vampire is moving around in high society, right? You're inviting him to dinner, right? And he's charming people and stuff like that. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think it 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 speaks to the 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 audience and the culture at the time, right? So with the with sort of the the folkloric vampires, that was they were being used as a scapegoat to explain why people were getting sick, illness. Uh, famine, you know, uh, bad weather, stuff like that. There was a there was a purpose to to it, right? right? It was it was a way for people to kind of focus their their fears and apprehensions on something, and then take action against that thing, right? Right. So if there weren't any witches in the village to burn, then you could always then maybe a vampire was around. So, yeah. you know, that's a, it's uh, that's an interesting point you make, and I actually talk a bit about about that in my book and I compare sort of witches and vampires because there's actually quite a bit of overlap between them. Mm. Um, and I think you kind of, you touch on something that uh, is, you know, sort of a, a very uh, kind of sad and troubling aspect to it all, you know, with, with these kinds of things, you know, the, the, the people in the community, they're, they're scared. They're looking for, they're looking for an answer. Um, if they, if suspicion fell on a dead person, it's, you know, it's very, it's sort of this sort of probably emotional gut wrenching thing. It's very sad. Um, but the, the, the victim is already dead, right? The vampire is already, you know, it's a dead person already. Unfortunately, if suspicion goes in the direction, it falls on a live person. Well, now you have executions and things like that. Um, so it's, it's, uh, you know, it's very sad. It's very sad when you look at those kinds of things. Um, well, in that sense, I mean, from that proportion, it's the, it's it's same same as witch hunts in terms of re, you know purpose, reasoning, motivation, and ultimately outcome. And every one of them is a tragedy. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's unfortunate when you look at these old tales, and you know, you you know, you can see that people through you know 
people through mis- misunderstanding and fear or, you know, wh- whatever, maybe selfish intentions they had, you know, right. these kinds of things happened, whether you're looking at the vampires or sort of the, the historical, you know, witch accounts or something like that, or you're looking at like, you know, the Salem witch trials and stuff like right. that. Right. Um, so anyway, so in the, so we're talking about, uh, sort of the vampire with Polidori. So that that's so that's kind of a big work. That kind of changes things. Another one from the 1840s, there was a, a penny dreadful uh, called Varney the Vampire. And yes. uh, yep. this 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 one was uh, it ran for quite a while. It wound up being put together into a novel uh, that was like it was like 800 pages or something like that. It was really big because yeah, the penny dreadfuls, they were churning them out like constantly. So it winds up being this giant thing. Um, but anyway, that introduced a number of different that introduced some different things as well um, to sort of these vampire traits. Uh, and then you know th- there's there's some there's some other works as well, Carmilla and such. Was there um, was but, there anything unique in Varney that that added to the current mystique so, or imagery? Sure. So let's 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 talk let's talk let's kind of talk about some traits maybe. Yeah. Um. So maybe I'll ask you what. What do you? Th- what would you say is probably in our modern thinking the most defining trait of a vampire? Like the one thing you can show on screen that says, "Oh, that person's a vampire." They're drinking blood. I wouldn't. I'd, I'd say even more than that. I'd say. I'd say. Well, I'd say. What teeth. else? The, the teeth. The teeth. Right. Yeah. The fangs. Yeah. Right. Like that's it. Like if someone, if if you if someone turns to the camera and and they smile and you see those canines, right? Like oh. It's a vampire. Yep. Right. That's all. That's literally all you need. That is true. right. Yes. Right. So that's that to that to me, I think, is probably one of the, the most the most defining kind of visual cues that you can do for a vampire, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the shot, one of the, the kind of shocking things I found when I looked at the folklore was that um, fangs aren't in it. The folkloric vampire didn't have oh, fangs. Oh, OK. They were yeah. regular dead people. They were regular dead people. They <laughs> okay. didn't. They, they didn't, didn't the... have. It's no that like fangs long like you know canines are never mentioned in any of the folkloric accounts. Okay, so and and would we be safe and sane in terms of folkloric accounts the pre eighteen hundreds? Actually, no. How far um, back there's... do we go when we talk about that? Well, a- actually, there's there were a number of uh, there were vampire incidents. That happened in the 1800s. Mm. Um, That people believing in vampires in the 1800s. Okay. Um, Okay. So historical accounts, let's say. So you know, um, so there's a time when the these things kind of they coexist, sort of the the fictional and the folkloric. And and quite, I even I even talk about uh, like one 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 incident uh, in the 2000s. Um, that people believe that there was a, that there was a vampire got some, it got a little bit of press. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I mean, so, I guess there's always going to be some people who are true believers. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you, you know, you think about it, these, these were part of the culture, right? Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're sort of these, you know, they're these supernatural beliefs that, you know, were that you know, went through generations and stuff like that. And so like one, 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 one account that I mentioned the book that was, that was post 2000, that was post 2000 was in like a, a very rural village, like in Romania. Um, so it, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing, but the folkloric accounts, I mean, so I talk about, I talk about some incidents from the 1800s, 1700s was, that was kind of a, 
was a, that was uh, a, a lot of um, sort of impactful impactful events happen. But you know, the, but legends and stuff like that. One of one of one tale I talk about was written about in the 12th century. Mm. Okay. Right. So these things go back. They go back a long time. How, um, what, 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 what is and we're going to get back to the traits thing. I haven't forgotten about mm-hmm. that. But I wanted to ask I was going to ask earlier when we were walking down the path here. Um, how far back does this go? Well, that's in an interesting your question. Study. Yeah. As far as your study. So like go. how like how like how like early how account. far. And so so that then gets into the question of, well, how do you define what a vampire is? Okay. 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 So like, if you read about these things, there are some people, there are some folks that would take it all the way back to like, you know, biblical times with uh, Lilith. If you're familiar with, with, with the story of Lilith, um, where she, a little bit. She, what's the base? What's the summary? Um, she was like the first wife of Adam and she, uh, like, uh, sort of, she refused to be submissive to him. And so she kind of, she, she took off, um, and then, and then Eve is made and then Lilith kind of becomes this, like, uh, this monster, this like demonic thing. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, so, um, that's, that's kind of, uh, that, that, so some people would take it to, to like, to, to that to that kind to of all, to all the know, way back to the beginning back. all the way back they're going <laughs> okay. all they're going all the way back but in terms um, of real world verifiable stories that you go okay this is the earliest written account or verbal account that was recorded at some point like what how do we wh- how far back I, does it go that way i i would say i would say probably that 12th century for a okay. lot of my research was that that probably went that was probably pretty far back for some of the documented stuff I found, I want to, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of ran across in my sort of trail of research. I want to say, I think there might, I mean, there might be a reference or two older than that. Um, and there could be, there could be stuff older kind of floating around out there too. You know, I don't think they came into being all of a sudden, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I think these things were around for, for all I know, as long as, as you know, people have been wondering about the nature of death and stuff like that sure um so it's really it's really hard to say but i think i want to say that i want to for i think for my book i want to say that might that might be one of the one of the older uh one of the older tales in one of the oldest tales in there i want to say all right um and these see and the thing about these of course is when we're tracing real history and the real literature of this stuff or the real folklore with this stuff then of course it's gonna you know be this messy spaghetti you know strings of 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 influences and and changes and authors introducing new ideas with the 1800s and stuff um i and so it mixes and matches up with other threads that are also mythic monsters or mythic legends uh, zombies um mummies you know (laughs) werewolves i mean these all have their own history trail you know, and it does mix up with some of this sometimes like that. I think the zombie concept mixes up with the vampire trail in some places with ideas of people getting buried alive and coming back and uh, stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, nowadays we sort of like we like to fit all of these kind of, all our kind of different movie monsters and stuff into different boxes. Yeah. Like this is what a werewolf is, right? And this is what a vampire is, right? right. right. And that sort of that sort. Of, this is what a witch is, yeah, right. You know, yep. she's got a broom in her hat, and she, you know, she's got the cauldron, <laughs> and that's that's what a witch is. Um, you know, but when you when you look at 
you know, the, these, these beliefs, these legends and the beliefs around the supernatural, like they, they, they coexist and they co-mingle and they influence each other. And that's something I found, I found with the vampire lore. And that's something I talk about in my book. My last, my, my, like my last chapter is about like witches and werewolves and the kind of the interplay between, between all of the, you know, vampires and witches and werewolves and kind of how these beliefs overlap with each other and influence each other and stuff like that. Right. Um, so, it, you know, it's it's hard to sort of make definitive statements with supernatural beliefs because they can differ from place to place. They grow and change and evolve. So what might be true for one place is not necessarily true for somewhere else in their belief system. Right. Right. Well, what would. OK, so. So what how did you go about then? And, and maybe we should have led with this, but how did you go about determining for yourself you know, what what you would define as the characteristics you were looking for as to, okay, this is what we're going to call a vampire and this is what I'm looking for. Sure. So um, the, the I came up with sort of three criteria for um, sort of determining this is what I'm going to deem to be a vampire for the context of my book. Um, because you can get into you know, there's a lot of different supernatural beliefs out there with like, well, this is a monster that drinks blood. So that's, you know, oh, that's a vampire. Right. Mm -hmm. And for me, I felt like if you cast the net too wide, you kind of, you sort of obscure sort of the, the psychological roots of, of this thing. Mm. Um, So what I, what I went with is the first criteria is that the vampire is, the reanimated corpse of a once living person, mm-hmm. right? So this used to, so, and this is an important, this is an important distinction. The vampire used to be uh, a normal real person at one point who passed away and became a vampire. So I'm kind of discounting any sort of like non-human entities that never were human mm. to begin with, right? Like a, like a, like a, a monster or a demon or something like that, mm-hmm. or a human that never died but does magic mm. or, or you know those sorts of things because that can that can you know that can bleed in there's stories of witches who drink blood right mm-hmm. um i mentioned i mentioned one i mentioned one in my book in the last in that last chapter where it was a belief that there was this type of witch uh and it would you know it, it would you know drink blood at night mm-hmm. um but to me well that per- that that person that's magic they weren't they weren't they weren't dead. So I feel that that's kind of obscuring it. Right. Or some kind of, you know, non-human creature. I talk about, if I talk about like a, some not, you know, some non-human creatures when I, when I explain some of this in my book. So that's, so that's criteria one. Mm-hmm. Um, criteria two is that they are harming the living in some way. Right. So I am, I'm broadening it out beyond just the blood drinking. Yeah. Right. Because Actually, that's I realize thing. that's kind of smart because, because as you said, psychologically, we've had movies and 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 imagery of vampires as psychic vampires, as energy vampires, not always just blood. Yeah, that comes that that certainly comes up. So, uh, in, in like modern things with like you know the psychic the psychic energy and th- and and things, right? Yeah. Um, but so in the folklore, blood drinking comes up, but. Vampires sometimes they were just thought to to kill people or like strangle them in the night or you know kind of mm. assault people when they encountered them and stuff like that. There's different things would different things would be blamed on vampires. Like I, I there was 
one once I, I think I, I was alluding to earlier, there's one story where there was like a drought and the people blamed the dead the person who had died for causing the drought mm-hmm. right so right right there you know it's the dead are harming the living in some way so it's getting to the it's the fear of the dead right like that's that's part of that's part of this and so that's i think in, important to kind of s- sort of stay focused on so um i ca- so i cast a bit of a wider net there and say they're harming the living in some way maybe it's blood drinking but maybe it's something else mm-hmm. uh and then lastly um the criteria my last criteria was uh in order to destroy the vampire to dispatch it action has to be taken against the corpse itself so oh, that's interesting yeah so it's not again it's not like it's some kind of disembodied spirit that's you know like a ghost or something like that right right? like that's just sort of doesn't have any tether to the physical realm like vampires are sort of they're kind of corporeal by their nature there's a physical there's a physicality to them they're physical so that was another thing for me where it's like no like if if it comes up in the story that like they had to get rid of them or something like that like it has the, the, the corpse has to be in play in some fashion, right? You know, exactly. So that's yeah. So now, that's kind of so. Th- so those are my cri- those are my criteria. Okay. And did you? And I'm 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 sure somebody's asked you this already, but um, also perfectly good criteria to use for a zombie. I suppose. So. And I mean, I think when you look at the the some of the vampire stuff. It seems to our modern minds more reminiscent of uh, sometimes kind of reminiscent of like a zombie movie or something. Yeah, you know, that was, what, that like was what I un- was thinking earlier when I was talking about how they cross over one another in ways. Yes, yes, yeah. I would say probably the bi- the biggest the biggest difference. Um, and I'm probably making some generalizations about zombie movies, but like zombies are often kind of like decaying, right? They're kind yeah. of like. They're kind of like withering and and you know skeletal or something like well, that. Well, right? except for modern reimaginations in which you know they're having love affairs with their teen boyfriend, you know. But yeah, well, it's it, you know. Yeah. So I mean, I I know for me when I think of like a zombie, like a cartoon zombie or something like that, like I don't know, his like arms falling off or something like that. And he's yeah, like, we've and, and, we've and, and, and whatnot. We seem to have um, dumbed them down in our modern interpretation, <laughs> and then had them eat brains instead of drink. Blood. Eat, they eat brains too. Right. Um, but. One one so one kind of difference there I'll 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 get into with with vampires, um, is that you know when we think of it like you know sort of I'm talking about zombies here but va- you know sort of vampires we often think of them as kind of pale and thin and kind of like deathly like deathly pallor and that sort of thing, and that is not what the folkloric view of it was. Oh. They did not they did not think vampires looked looked that way. How did they look? They, <clears throat> um, they looked good. They looked they looked healthy they 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 looked like they were still alive right okay and see that's an important distinction because when i i guess i'll let me kind of take you let me take you through sort of like sort of like uh, just a sort of generalized description of kind of what what might happen right so you know the, you know, so you have, you have, say it's 1700s, you know, sort of, uh, you know, a rural village in 1700s, something like that. And somebody sort of unexpectedly passes away. They die sort of all of a sudden. Hmm, that's strange. Then another person passes away. Maybe it was a friend or a relative or something like that. And then another, you know, young, kind of fairly young person passes away suddenly. Like, what's going on here, right? Something, something's wrong. These people who shouldn't be dying yet are now suddenly dying right 
they get sick, they get ill, and then they pass they pass away, and then another person. So you know, when we look at that with the modern eye, we go, oh, there's some kind of infection going on, right? Like there's there's a disease, and like you know, it's maybe maybe it's getting passed from person to person or something like that. Um, you know, when you go back to you know the 1700s or something like that, you know, there's no germ theory, right? right. They don't. That's that that hasn't come around yet. They're looking for an explanation. So then, sort of, they think to themselves, well. It kind of all started when that first person died, right? Let's have a look at that first. Let's let's have a look at that first person. Let's see what's see what's going on. They dig this person up. They would expect to see a corpse that is withering, decomposing, turning to a skeleton, right? But they didn't necessarily understand the decomposition process. Mm. So different things can happen in decomposition process depend you know depending on a number of variables but if they if they exhumed the corpse and the corpse looked too well preserved like it hadn't died right and maybe that's because it got buried in the winter so it didn't you know that kind of preserved it or something like that or maybe it hadn't been dead that long or the climate um, or whatever climate Factors. whatever yeah. so maybe they see this corpse it looks it looks uh it looks like it did in life it looks fresh right um maybe the person looks like they've gained weight right they're actually they're actually bigger now they're plumper now than they were they look healthier right that can happen because during decomposition gases can build up and the body can bloat yep. so that can be misinterpreted as weight gain um there's a no, there's a number of other things reddishness in the face the face looks flush right? Which also can happen as part of it due to like uh, blood pooling and things like that. Um, so they see these things and they're like, wait a minute, you know, this, this, this person's been dead for, you know, some months or whatever, and they look healthier now than they did before. They must, they must be somehow taking the life, the vitality of the living and preserving their own vitality in death. Right. right. So Somehow that's somebody what one so day made what... that some bright spark made that <laughs> connection. <laughs> hey, I know what's going on here. <laughs> I know what's going on here. This guy you know, is up just, to no good. <laughs> this guy. Um, this guy. And so, you know, you kind of you uh they were trying to make sense of the world around them and they saw of something course. that that didn't make sense. And so they're trying to they're trying to sort of put two and two together. They're trying to explain a situation that's you know, strange or whatever. Um, and so that's what they would find. The other thing that could happen in decomposition um, is that uh, blood or fluids can come out of the mouth. Mm, so they would dig right. someone up, they'd see blood around the mouth, and they'd go, wait a minute, that's the blood that this person took from the living. Right. 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 And so now we've got to do something to, you know, save ourselves from this undead person did they actually now the fact that they had to dig this corpse up mm -hmm. would have indicated to them that they had to dig the corpse up i mean in what way did they think this corpse was getting out and doing the damage it was doing did they think that it crawled out of there that's all right that's that's uh that's a great question oh. um <laughs> I talk about I talk about this in the book. I, I actually like kind of dedicate a chapter to this. Oh, uh, okay. Because <laughs> it it's the a most obvious question. thing, you know. Like, yeah, what, like how the minute? heck did it get out? Right. <laughs> how the heck did it get out? 
So there's a few, there's, there's different sort of explanations and, and discussions around this. Um, there were, there were some beliefs that, um, it was that if you found like a small hole, like like a small hole around the the grave, like like a snake could go through or something like that, that was an indication that there was a vampire there. So the vampire was escaping through this hole, right? This oh tiny wow! Hole. Oh wow! So they ha- is that where the idea of the transmogrification comes from, of changing into other shapes and then changing other shapes back? and stuff like that? Um. I mean, we, I, I talk about like the changing into animals and stuff like that, which I think there's there's sort of other there's other things related relating to that. Yeah. Um, and the, the whole and and that wasn't universal. That was like, and it's very hard to to sort of speak with sort of a broad brush with a lot of the specifics of these because again, these are supernatural beliefs. They differ from place to place. Right. Um. So I was finding like I would sort of just go like you know oh well what you know oh this is here or this is there and I kind of talk about beliefs from all over from all over the place. Um, so, but sort of the hole, the hole in the, uh, in the, the grave, I thought was sort of, that's an interesting one. It's also interesting because it like, it, it kind of gives the vampire, like, um, it, it's a little bit less corporeal in that form. It has a more of a supernatural quality because it's escaping through the hole in some fashion. Which exactly. Is um, there was one, there was one, uh, tale about, uh, it was, uh, it was, a it was a, a not so pious monk who passed away and was terror. It was, and was, uh, terrorizing people. And so the the tale kind of talks about these these other these um these other these other monks kind of lie in wait for him uh, at night to 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 put an end to them. And it's cold, and like all the monks go away except one, and and he's he's waiting. And and that's the point where the vampire decides like, oh, I've, this is this is the moment because there's only one person. So in the story, it talks about like the ground kind of just opens up and he emerges or whatever. Oh, um, okay. Okay. So like there was, so there was another one where it was, uh, that's a bit more of, of, of a fantastical tale, right? Where like you have the ground kind of opening for him. So they have, um, so there, there we are assigning supernatural powers to the creature as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's somehow it's, it's kind of escaping that in that way. So it's, and in that sense, it kind of stays whole, right? It's body remains, you know, without changing or something like that. Right. Um, Hey everyone, I wanted to take this opportunity to talk to you about a service that I am endorsing and that I truly, truly believe in. And that service is called BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp. And they are available through BetterHelp.com. And this is a service that connects you with a licensed professional counselor online so you can get help with depression, anxiety, stress, or just somebody to talk to in this very, basically, very troubled times that we're living in right now. It is not easy to get out there in the big wide world right now. It is not easy to get out and see therapists or counselors. It is not easy to find counselors or therapists who can help you. And this is what BetterHelp was designed to assist you with. The simplicity of this is you go to the site, you sign up, Actually, you use the link <laughs> that I have provided below, uh, which is betterhelp.com slash Chris Shelton, and you get signed up. And this can be for as little as $40 a week, and they actually even have uh, financial aid available uh, 
you enter some information, fill out a questionnaire about yourself, and you get hooked up with a counselor that will help you out. And this can be via text, via voice, or via a video. Okay, any one of those. It's up to you and your comfort level. And if the therapist that you get connected with isn't doing the job that you feel you need, you can ask for and get a different counselor. So there are a lot of options for you in this, and it is really something that I think a lot of my viewers should be taking advantage of. I have talked often about the need for or the help that you can get through professional counseling. Sometimes you need somebody who really does know what they're doing and not just a friend or family member to listen. And that's why this service is something that I am happy to put out there for you guys. So again, use the link below, betterhelp.com slash Chris Shelton. That is in the description to this video. And I hope that you um, can get the help that you might need from this service. Let me know how it goes. Yeah, so so there was there was um, uh, sort of a ch uh, a church scholar, uh, an abbot, Dom uh, Dom uh, Augustine Calmet, who who talk he he writes this kind of treatise on uh, the supernatural and vampires and revenants. Um, probably important to point out, vampire was not the universal term used for these things at all. That's not something I went by in the book. Just because someone didn't call it a vampire doesn't mean it wasn't a vampire. Um, you know what I mean? Like there's a bunch of names for these things, depending on where you go. The vampire is not a universal term. Cool. Um, so he, so he talks about this and he wondered, and he kind of proposes some, some answers to this, to this question that you have. And, and, and one of the things he, he thinks is like, could it be possible that the, the vampire can change the nature of its body such that it can pass through soil the way water does? Oh, interesting. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. Um, so there was a, there was another there was another kind of idea there. Um, he also wonders if vampires were simply an illusion that they didn't exist at all. He was actually he was he was uh, he was actually trying to like get to the root of this thing because mm. um, he you know because he was um, he was uh, obviously he was uh, you know a, a priest right he was. Um, uh, part of the church, and so his view was like, well, we need to we need to figure out what these things are, um, because uh, they're either either vampires aren't true, and then we have an obligation to like inform the public that they're not true, um, or they are true, and if that's the case, then then the like they're they're evil and they're from the devil, and we need to help people protect themselves. So he kind of he kind of wrote this book trying to figure get to get to the bottom of it because vampires they were come there was a number of newspaper articles like in the 1700s and they were get, getting some like you know popular attention towards them and people were wondering about them but so he kind of well, he had that idea that, well maybe again? they're just illusions entirely pardon me who was this person again uh augustine calmet augustine calmet calmet yeah uh, c-a-l-m-e-t okay calmet a french abbot he was a french abbot yeah and he was a priest um, detective he was he was he was getting to the he was trying to get to the bottom of things. Right. So he had a lot of stories. He included a, a lot of stories about this guy. Come on, it's just waiting to happen. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the priest detective, man. Yeah, right. I, I like it. Well, um, I like the here's yeah. what I like. I like the fact that on the table of options for him was that they don't exist. Yeah, I mean, he was you know? he was trying to figure things. He was trying to figure things out. He thought that maybe he's like, well, they could be an illusion created by like the devil or something like that. Yeah. Um. So he so he he kind of did this did this stuff um just uh so it, you know using the old noggin there at that <laughs> use time use the old use the old noggin <laughs> um but 
so the the how the vampires get out is uh, is actually sort of an interesting question. I mean, I think you know ultimately at the end of the day, um, a lot of accounts don't mention it. They don't go into detail. The fact of the matter is was that they were doing something. Right. They were escaping in some fashion. In fact, there was one belief where the vampire spirit would leave would leave the 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 grave and then it would get a new body. Like this new uh, body would materialize. Right. For it. There we go. So there was a bunch of different approaches, but some people never bought. They so, some accounts like they don't mention how it's happening. They're just like, look, this is happening. Right. Like right. we got to do something. <laughs> this was, doesn't matter how it's happening. <laughs> is there is there any truth since we're kind of talking about this burial thing right now? It's on my mind. Is there any truth to this old idea that that people that one of the causes for the actual real world causes for why people imagine that the undead could rise is because they actually were burying people who were still alive sometimes. And they, they they dig themselves up. Now, I've read that years and years and years ago to the point that it became a practice to put a cord in the in the the coffin and a bell up on the surface. Is is any of that true? Okay, so um yeah, so the the cord and the bell thing. So that 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 particular thing dates from like that was like a Victorian thing. So oh, was it? there was okay. Yeah, oh, so I thought there it was, was much earlier. Okay. So so yeah, I think the cord with the bell I want to say was was Victorian times, I believe. I I did not get into that in the book, so I I can't. Okay. You can fact check me if you want okay. there. <laughs> um, but it was um, in, in the in like Victorian times, like sometimes it was kind of hard to tell if someone was dead. Uh huh. Um, you know, so there was like this fear that some people had that they would be buried alive. Um, so that's why they, they, people had these ideas about like, well, these are, these are the mechanisms, you know, to like, if you get buried alive, this is, this is kind of like how you'll get out or something like that. So it was kind of like a, a a public fear, like a fear in the the public about that. Um, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, again, uh, speaking to a different kind of fear, fear surrounding death. Um, the, the buried alive thing that does, people have proposed that as like that, maybe that's the root of, of the vampire stories is that people were getting, were getting buried alive. The thing of it is when you look at the recorded historical accounts of these things, right? Like some of the, some of the stuff I talk about in the book, like these, some of these are more like their supernatural beliefs, like vampires will do X, Y, Z, or their legends and they're kind of hazy. Um, and they may date back very far. But a number of these things, like they were, these were these were events that were written about in newspapers, where they were like exhuming corpses because of because of an illness or something like that. And so, um, for those kinds of things, um, it, it they weren't people weren't buried alive for that. You know what I mean? So if you look at if you look at some of the actual like the heart, the kind of more harder evidence, it was usually relating to a misunder you know misunderstanding the decomposition process a fear a fear arounding some kind of Ill- illness or misfortune or something like that hmm. okay okay that makes sense that totally makes sense of course um, I'm not gonna say that that never happened but that someone didn't get buried alive and then someone thought it was a vampire afterwards some of that I mean there you know, were stories who knows right? I mean there were stories and whether they <laughs> were true stories of course is always the question 
um, you know, when you're talking about retellings of retellings of retellings mm. of things, then, you know, I mean, it's it's entirely possible that they are just totally fake. So I um, wouldn't be the first time in history that, you know, some kind of nonsense had filtered up to the present time. I mean, it's hard. Truth. It's hard to know. It's very hard to know. You yeah. know what I mean? Like someone it, it's that there may be some accounts that that happened where yeah. someone got buried and they came out and people freaked out about it, which they probably would. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely read some accounts like that. I remember that very clearly now. Um, what about since you take this on a trait by trait ask, you know, uh, sort of exploration, and I am definitely curious about a couple of these traits, if I might ask you, yeah. um, holy water. Yeah, uh, holy water, absolutely. Holy water and sort of religious iconography in general, uh, is absolutely part of vampire folklore. Mm-hmm. Um, that's 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 there in a variety of stories used in a variety of ways. Um, you know, I think I think that comes down that I think comes down to uh, sort of the good good versus evil aspect of things, right? That yeah. people believe that the vampire is an evil entity, and thus, re- you know, sort of religious items will help protect them from evil. In this case, being the vampire. Okay. So. So the cross is part of that. Absolutely, uh, yeah. But yeah. a, but a I, Jewish cross could be part of that theoretically. I mean, in theory, uh, the the accounts that I tended to, and I guess I should say, I should say, like, I, I'm what I'm referring to here, are the accounts that I ran across that were from, like, you know, people who, you know, like people who were Christian, right? right so right. they believed that this cross was going to protect them. Right. right. That was in that was part of their belief system. Oh, right? that makes more sense, actually. I, you know, it's funny. After all these years, I've never actually connected those two ideas. But of course they would connect right away. The cross will protect me, not just from vampires, the cross protects me from everything. Sure. Yeah. Cross is it's, your symbol, you know, it's, you know? Yeah, sure. The power, yeah, it's the, you know, got you know, your power of God, right? Right. So that was part of that was a part of those were that was part of, you know, folkloric vampire beliefs for people who were Christian. Right. 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 What, so if um, you went to somewhere where they didn't have that, then that wouldn't that wouldn't be mentioned. But it could be, you know, it could potentially be some other kind of sacred thing to whatever place you were at that mm-hmm. would help them or something. Well, that's and that's translated to modern storytelling of vampires. I mean, I'm looking at Salem's Lot. I'm looking at, you know, um, Fright Night. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of places this pops up, this line of, well, you know, it's not the symbol that's actually doing it. It's your faith, mm. right? You have to have faith. Otherwise, the cross doesn't work, right? This was the this was in Fright Night. This was in um, this was in Salem's Lot, right? And uh, and that's the thing that is giving you the power to repel this evil beast. And so it's not so people can sit there and do this all day, or you know, get a or get a crucifix or something and flash yeah, yeah, it, yeah. and it still won't work because they don't have faith. Is sure. Like, I mean, and that that notion, you know, connects to like, you know, Catholicism, that right. kind of thing. You know, your faith has healed you. That's right. Well, what about is there now you said 12th century when I asked you earlier about earliest time. So did you go earlier as far as like, have there were there is I mean, was there conceivably any concept of this in the Egyptian culture or the, or the Roman culture or the Greek cultures or Chinese so, cultures or Asian cultures back in the day? Sure. Um, so the um, so uh, China, I talk about a uh, there was a, a, a there's like a, a Chinese version of, of the vampire called the Qiangxi. I, I give a I share a story about that, but it's an undead person 
who, uh, you know, who's, uh, you know, uh, tormenting the living and, and, and killing and killing people. Um, so I talk about a, a tail. They were they were believed to have like stiff limbs, and I think that like long hair and stuff like that. Mm. In the story, I in the story I share, like they also had the ability to fly. They could like fly through the air, you know, wow. like a superhero. So like there was one tale where the um, the 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 villagers they go to like the the tomb or the cave where the the Qiangxi lives, and um, they have a magician. He casts like a magical net over the sky so it can't fly away. Uh. And, um, you know, and uh, they you know someone runs into the cave and rings bells that keep it from returning and that kind of thing. Interesting. Um, so there, there there was that. Um, in the in the 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 story I talk about in the the book I talk about. So this is this is one where I talk about this something called an impusa, which was um so, which is often linked to vampires, um and sometimes kind of gets referred to as one, and it like it like drinks blood and consumes flesh, and it has these it looks like a person. It has these powers of illusion. There's a story of this this um this this young man who falls in love with this beautiful woman, and uh, he he's going to marry her, and his his uh, his friend who's like a philosopher he he tries to warn him that it's that the uh, this woman is actually an impusa and uh, he doesn't believe him but then at the wedding like the the friend the the philosopher accuses her and she she ultimately kind of acknowledge you know she feigns you know it's kind of feigns offense but then ultimately acknowledges that you know yes it's uh you know uh you know, I, I am. And, and so then suddenly like the whole wedding is like an illusion, like all like the finery and all that like disappears because it was oh, all from wow. her power. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was all, all a big illusion. So like that one gets brought up with vampire counts a lot. And it was one I, I talked about my, um, in my book, it's like a classic, it's, you know, like, like a classical story. Um, but what time, uh, period, classical... what time period is that story from? Um, so I, I think, you know, like, uh, classical rome or something like that i'm not exactly sure of the date oh that's roman that's a roman story i think i think it was either roman i think it's i think it's set in like the roman or greek period i think oh um, i was misunderstanding i thought that was the chinese one okay so that's that's oh old. sorry sorry that's oh, okay. I, I shift gears on you my apologies got it so got the Qiangxi was a chinese one the empusa right. was like a like a, a classical period greek oh, okay so th- so um, this concept is older it, it is now the thing about the empusa is that it wasn't it's not like a dead person oh it's got it's okay. like a creature and it consumes blood and eats flesh and has some powers but but it's not that's dead. one where i'm like is this really a vampire no right not if it's not undead so no. so that's that so you get into stuff like right. you get into stuff like that so i mean and like in so if you're looking at uh like egyptian like and then there's like the Egyptian mythology, like like one of their gods was thought to like drink the Nile and consume blood and stuff like that. So sometimes that gets brought up. Mm. But then again, like, well, that's that's like a supernatural being that wasn't necessarily a corpse. Of course, the Egyptians, if you're talking about corpses and stuff like that, you know, they had a very rich, um, you know, sort of rich idea of the afterlife and the supernatural and stuff. That's right. Yeah, they wouldn't um, they weren't walking around in fear of the undead walking among them. They had Book of the Dead, they had all I mean, they had this really figured out what was going on. In the yeah, they, 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 you know, they had a very well established yeah. system of beliefs regarding that stuff. So it's hard to say how, you know, again, it depends on how you want to define the vampire in terms of what store what old stories kind of relate to it or not. Right. Um, but, you know, I uh, honestly, like, you know, t- to me, I, I would imagine it dates back very, very, f- very far, farther than probably people wrote it down um, because yeah. these are sort of, these are, these are sort of universal concepts, right? 
or probably like, you know, part of our sort of collective unconsciousness is fear of fear of death and mortality and things like that. That's right. So and then the dead rising up to come, you know, suck your life away because they want to live longer. I mean, that's a that's a that's a it's a it's a bizarre computation that that sort of thing would happen. But then when you break it all down, like you've been doing, you kind of go, oh, no, I get how this happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know, death is a scary thing. And, you know, people people don't want to die. Right. I don't you know, that's that's a scary thing. So then when someone, you know, someone around you, someone does die, like you don't want to be like them. You don't want that to happen to you too. And you don't want them to bring you towards it. So what, you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. kind of the, the sort of this, this kind of concern regarding that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about, okay, good. So in terms of, again, I, I've got, I got so many questions. Okay. Sunlight. Uh, sunlight. Um, I get, well, actually let's, what do you? Th- oh. well, what's your guess? Well, I mean, I, I I think nighttime is associated with the dark things, and you know that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they seem to certainly in in uh, Western Europe, they made holidays or special events or days out of the eve before the day of the event, and that's where we get Halloween from. Mm-hmm. Um, Samhain. Yeah. So I I'm you know so I'm kind of I'm a little open to the idea, but I think. It's not a stretch for me to think that, you know, nighttime equals dark creatures, bad things coming out because you can't see that much. So the threats are much more, they can get much closer to you before you're even aware of them. Whereas during the day, you know, you get the sun and the light and and all that. But that's, I don't know, I'm just making that up, you know. So, so here's, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll, I'll, I'll go into it a little bit. So ultimately, I will say that. It was never believed that sunlight would destroy the vampire. Oh, okay. that's a modern thing. That is a modern thing. Okay, because that's so not the even notion- in Dracula. I think. I think. He, I think Dracula comes out during the day. He does. Yes. Yeah. He is not. He's not bound by the night. Yeah, they don't um, kill him by exposing him to sunlight. No. Yeah. No, they don't. So that notion where, um, you know, the vampire gets exposed to the sunlight, and they're like. They're like this, you know, and they crumble to dust or whatever, you yeah, know, which is great. Thing. This is great. You know, it's very theatrical and it looks looks great. So that was never believed. Um, there's there's some difference among the tales and the places about what sunlight might mean to the vampire. So there are vampires, by and large, they attacked at the night. They were nocturnal, mm-hmm. right? People, the, people were terrorized at, at the night and in there's a number of explanations as to why we can we can go into that a bit. Um, and some of the accounts, people said that person who died, they came to me last night and they were on top of me and they were they were strangling me, right? Like people wow. said that. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Um, they believe this. Um, so vampires very much nocturnal, very much very much sort of uh, creatures of the night. There you go. Um, Depending on the place, so let's say the uh, in Greece there was a, there was uh, quite a big uh, kind of a vampire tradition. Uh, there, the vampire was known as the Vrikalakis uh, in Greece, hmm. and so there was some some beliefs that it could be seen out and about during the day. Um, you might encounter one, and if you did, sometimes it was so scary people would die, people would pass away. Wow. Um, yeah, there was another story. There was uh, another another story story i recall that one might have been from the 1600s where the vampire was attacking people at night but at times it was seen walking around at noon um that kind of thing so there are some accounts where it 
it was seen at during the day, wasn't hurting it. There are a number of accounts where at, at dawn, the vampire would become lifeless. Right. So these are, these are kind of, these are kind of tales and legends where, um, oftentimes it involves like a a soldier traveling or something like that. And they encounter a a corpse, uh, vampire, um, and they're being chased or something like that. And then when the, the dawn, when the dawn approaches, the rooster crows is often what, what said the vampire falls lifeless to the ground, like clunk, you know, and then Mm. they escape, right. They get away. Okay. Um, Okay. But the, but the thing of it is, is that the van- in these stories, the sunlight doesn't kill that vampire. It just, it just kind of um, deanimates them. Right. So they, they, they become lifeless again. But, they're going- but the implication is that they're going to come back to life at night. In fact, one tale, um, this happens. The, sol- the soldier, uh, he meets this, this uh, it's the, a vampire of a warlock. And, uh, you know, the warlock kind of the warlock, I guess, in his hubris kind of explains to the soldier, you know, if you really want to kill me, here's what you have to do. Um, but but then, you know, the vampire, the, the warlock tries to kill the soldier, this, the, you know, the vampire warlock. But then, you know, the soldier tries to defend himself. The sunlight comes up. The vampire falls lifeless. So now the soldier has time to actually do what the vampire said to do to kill him for real, which was. Uh, was uh, build a bon- build a, a bonfire of aspen wood, and you put the corpse on it. And he said, and any creature that came out of it, you had to kill. Otherwise, he would he would survive. Um, so, so in that case, uh, you know, and in in a number of other kind of legends, the vampire was um, was being made lifeless uh, temporarily during the sunlight hours, but that wasn't killing them or anything like that. Okay. And when you look at some of like, you know, like we talked about some of these, these more historic accounts that that makes sense that the sunlight wouldn't do anything. Cause when you think about it, these people are scared, they're frightened. They've got to do something to get rid of this, this, you know, this, this corpse that's killing people. If you had just dug them up and just left them out in the sun for 10 minutes or something like that, is that really gonna? Is that gonna make the people feel better? Is that where the catharsis is? Right. You know, it do, it doesn't. No. It, you know, I don't think it's gonna do the job. Well, there's a um, lot. They need more, to take real action. There's a lot more catharsis to be had in beheading it and ripping its heart yes. out and then shoving the, a garlic clove in there. So, yes, absolutely. I'd now you feel like dead. you did something. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's coming back tonight. I don't think no, it is. That's it. Nope. Problem special. solved. Exactly. You know, like, did you take care of that vampire? Well, I left it in the sun for half an hour and then we reburied it. <laughs> no. It's coming uh, back. What are you talking about? That didn't do anything. <laughs> right, right, right. So, and so it, so in my book so this is the kind of example where i look to the folklore i find i find things that related to the to the current belief i you know and i i kind of explore these and i share these these legends and stuff like that but then i i but then i kind of like say well but that doesn't answer the question really so when when did sunlight start killing vampires for you know uh you know in our in our sort of uh, perception so that can actually be traced back to uh, a 1920s uh, silent film called uh, Nosferatu. Oh, that's um, where it comes from. Yeah. Okay. May, maybe. Yep. Oh, yeah. So maybe, maybe, oh, maybe yeah. you've heard of that. Uh, Nosferatu, um, Ein Symphonie du Grauen, something like that. That's Symphony of Terror. Yeah. Uh, he's got, freaky he's got the freaky uh, He's the bald <laughs> with the pointy ears. He's got like the rat-like fangs, you know, yes. in the front. You know, the hands. Yeah, those hands are so huge. So it's... A, it's yeah, great, great, 
you know, great movie. Good. Like, so the visual powerful visuals in that film, I mean, obviously it's, you know, it's by our standards now. I mean, this is the 1920s, right? But that's right. Shadow of uh, the vampire was a great, Oh, that's, that's an, yeah, that was, was that, that was the one. That. Yeah. Where they were like, sh- that the premise was they were shooting Nosferatu, Correct. right? That's right. And, yes. But, but yes. the Nosferatu was real. Yes, that's yeah, yeah. That they had actually they were shooting a vampire movie with a real vampire. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And um yeah. uh Willem Dafoe played the Nosferatu and it oh, was he was brilliant. It was really quite good. It was quite good. <laughs> yeah, but I haven't seen that, that movie in from. such a long time. Okay. Um so anyway, the uh so in that in that movie, um the 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 vampire whose name is Count Orlock he uh you know he's ter- he's you know terrorizing london um so the in the the in the plot of the film they have this book that kind of explains the vampire legend and in this in this this book it explains the ritual to destroy the vampire mm-hmm. and the the ritual is that uh someone has to willingly give give themselves up to the vampire give their blood to the vampire such that he stays there drinking the blood for the entire night until dawn and at dawn he'll be destroyed so in the movie, uh, you know, one of the main ca- one of the main characters uh, makes the sacrifice, and he drinks the blood, and then he's walking, he's leaving the room, walking past the window, and then the sun appears over the horizon, and he kind of does this dramatic turn, and then the next frame is that there's just smoke rising from the right. from the ground. So that's kind of where we first get the notion of sunlight killing the vampire, destroying him. But it's it's um, it's interesting. Um, because, um, when you actually look at the plot of the movie, and this was kind of pointed out by, uh, a, a scholar, a vampire expert, uh, Raymond T. McNally, he, he points out that, well, it wasn't necessarily the sunlight alone that killed the vampire. The sunlight was part of the ritual to destroy the vampire, which involved uh, a victim and stuff like that. So it may actually have been the whole ritual required. So if that's the case with the plot, then actually the notion of sunlight destroying the vampire is a bit of a misinterpretation of the film, which is kind of an interesting idea. That is an interesting um, idea. Or on, uh, or alternately, the sunlight was the key component of the ritual and the rest of it was go. just fluff. Was so, fluff just to get him there. Exactly. Entirely possible. Hard to say. So you can have Hard it both ways. Yeah, it's a tough you can one. Have it both, you can That's have right. it both ways. But an interesting thing about Nosferatu, um, so that was done by uh, the production company for that was, was, was Prana Film. And they wanted, to do, they wanted to do a vampire one. They wanted to do a Dracula movie. Um, but they did not get the rights to Dracula. But they made so <laughs> what they did was they just changed some elements of the plot. They changed some character names, right? It's Count Orlock now and all this stuff. Um, and they came out with the movie. And uh, Bram, this is 19, like 20s, Bram Stoker's widow sues them and uh-huh. wins. And the judge rules that all copies of the film are to be destroyed. But thankfully, some of the f- some of the copies survive, and we still have the film today. And it's Honest. it's you know sort of a great classic piece of uh, vampire movie. Very making. much. So. And um, so yeah, so that's kind of a that's kind of an interesting one. So there's kind of the story the story around sunlight. And so then obviously from there, kind of the rest is history. It sort of makes its way into uh, into other you know other uh, movies and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Um, yeah. Oh, I was just thinking about something I wanted to ask you about with. Yeah, the blood, the blood drinking. So if it, it wasn't always that way, when did it consistently become that way? 
Well, the blood drinking comes up quite a bit. I mean, it comes up in the folklore. So here's here's sort of an in, there was one account. Um, this is seventeen uh, twenties. Uh, this this fellow by the name of Peter Plagojewicz uh, in, in uh, Serbia, he dies. Um, people, you know, people after him start dying. They believe that he's the he's the cause. In the account, people say he he came to me at night. He was crushing me, strangling me, um, and that kind of thing. So the the people. Uh, the people of the village kind of, you know, they're, they're up in arms about this thing and this, you know, this vampire is terrorizing them. So, you know, you know, strangling people in the night. And, um, so they go to kind of this government official and they're like, well, we want to exhume this guy. And the government official was kind of like, let me ask my boss. Um, but they, they were like, no, we need to do this now or we're all leaving the village. So he agrees. They dig up the body of Plagojewicz. Um, when they inspect it, they see the blood around the mouth. That's the blood he's been sucking. It really wasn't discussed before then, but they see the blood around the mouth and that's kind of what keys it off. So it's, so the, the blood drinking like came most likely from that misinterpretation of the decomposition process where they saw blood around the mouth and that kind of keyed it in for them of like, Oh, that's, that's the thing. That's wow. what's going, that's what's going on. Um, that's so interesting. that's, that's, that's yeah, yeah, and yeah. okay, it makes it makes sense. You, you you know you 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 look at this corpse and you see that there and like well that shouldn't be there you know so. yeah well uh, yeah at least according to their way of thinking um, exactly <laughs> what okay is there any truth to the um, Vlad the Impaler legend is what leads is the straight line trajectory to Dracula um so a little bit um there's if you ever you watch like a documentary about vampires or something like that vlad the impaler is now going to come up yep like totally like they're going to do a whole segment on on him and stuff like that and be like this was the source for you know count dracula that's right and you know this is you know stoker he knew all about this guy and he did he did all this um so the the thing of it is um is that Stoker knew extremely little about Vlad the Impaler? Mm-hmm. Extreme ex- that we that is sort of prove that you can prove through sort of like documentary evidence, right? Uh, people have conjectured that he he read all about him and this and that, but but from from what I've read from the scholar from some of the scholarly research I, that I that I've read, he basically learned about Vlad the Impaler from kind of like a single line in one book. Um, about, I think the book was called like the, the history of the principal principalities of Wallachia and Moldovia or something like that. Um, and he reads this one line that talks about this, this, you know, this prince in Wallachia who was named Dracula and he was, you know, uh, you know, he was kind of, uh, you know, like a, a, a victorious warrior on the battlefield and, or something like that. And it, it mentions that Dracula means devil. Hmm. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of about it. It doesn't, it talk, it, it doesn't even mention his names like Vlad, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a very limited reference, but Stoker, Stoker saw that, ref, saw that, that, that reference in this, in this book liked, you know, liked the name and liked the notion of this, of this prince, you know, fighting these, fighting these wars against like the Ottoman empire and stuff. Um, and so that's kind of, he took that and incorporated that into his book. Um, 
and uh so that's that's kind of that's kind of where where it was i think before i think before he was going to call 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 the character count dracula i think it was going to be like count vampire or something like that so you know he liked so he liked the name he liked the idea that there's a section in the book where Van Helsing's talking about Dracula and kind of his history and mentions like he had these great victories against, you know, against the Turks and stuff like that. And so you, you can kind of tell like, oh, yeah, Stoker read that, read that little bit of it there. Um, there's a lot of people that think like, well, Stoker had access to these people or this information and he might have like known a lot more about Vlad or something like that. Um, but there's there's not a lot of evidence to really support that. And um uh, Dr. Elizabeth Miller uh, kind of wrote wrote a lot about this and really kind of dug into this stuff. Um, so you know you can you can look for her work if you want to know more about kind of Stoker's connections here. But I think one one thing that kind of gets asserted is that like if Stoker knew a lot more about it, he probably would have said more in the book because that's kind of how Stoker rolled. Like he you know he he wasn't necessarily holding things back if he if he had you know if he right. had stuff. Um, Especially so the that thing about, kind of backstory. I mean, Vlad the Impaler's backstory is like, are you it's, kidding it's, me right now? This is exactly right. what what Dracula would be. You know, I mean, he was a he was a rough dude. And I yeah. think it's important to mention that no one during Vlad the Impaler's time thought that Vlad was a vampire. Okay, right? He didn't know. People didn't. People did not think he was a vampire or something like that. Or that he was. He, now, was there some? Wasn't there something in the legend about him bathing in blood or something? So. um the the ba- the the um the bathing in blood was uh was actually was the uh Elizabeth Bathory the blood countess oh right um, right right who right. also comes up in those documentaries that's right. a lot that's right um, that's right there we go yes. I'm mixing them I'm yes. mixing them up yes yep. yes so Vlad there was a there there was this assertion that there was this poem that was written about written about Vlad um you know back back in the day that uh he um he would dip his bread in the blood of his victims and eat it right which is kind of vampiric but it kind of turns out that that was a mistranslation and it it actually was that he washed his hands in the blood of his victims uh which again is pretty creepy yeah but no it makes a lot better (laughs) pretty creepy still still. but jesus dude Oh yeah. yeah there the you go. Stuff. Yeah. Done and done. Dude. Um but <laughs> but not vampiric. Okay. Right? right. So and I mean I think that you know the thing about Vlad is he you know he was an extremely uh you know brutal uh ruler. Yeah. Um you know but of course those were very brutal times as well that he lived in. Yeah. Um he actually so he was he was uh prince of uh Valachia which um was uh you know was a principality now it's part it's a region in romania um and he was uh technically his title was like voivode um so and he actually ruled three separate times because he like lost the throne a couple times because there was like he he had to deal with like you know sort of rebellious nobles and stuff like that he had like hungry he had like hungry on one side of him which was like this like superpower he had like the ottomans on the other side of him right. and and so you had like tiny valakia in there fighting you know kind of fighting these battles and stuff like that so it was it was definitely like you know to not to in no way excuse him from any of the atrocities that he performed, but it was, it was uh, an interesting time period for sure. And kind of, you know, that's how he kept his rule right. was through right. fear, you know? Right. Um, so I guess the nicest and, thing they could say about him 
back then was, well, he's not a vampire. Yeah, he's not a vamp. He's not a vampire. Correct. So, and he wasn't. He was not. Um, he wasn't known as like Vlad the Impaler in his time. Like that came later. Vlad sometimes you get Vlad Tepish, which is Romanian for Impaler. Um, you know, he was known. He would have been Vlad the Third or Vlad Dracula. His father was Dracul, which um, his father was part of. Uh, you know, the Order of the Dragon, uh, which was like this knighthood um, that was oh. sort of you know sort of which was you know created to kind of defend christendom and that kind of thing um and uh then he was dracula which was which was um so dracula means means dragon or devil and then he was dracula the son of the dragon right uh, so that's huh. kind of where he got they got his his moniker there i mean it is definitely i mean bram stoker really uh hit pay dirt with that name yeah, that, that oh, is... fantastic, fantastic name. Oh. But from what I understand, these from what I understand these days in Rom- in in Romania, that he Vlad has kind of taken on kind of like a kind of he's sort of like a, a has like kind of a heroic kind of status because he he fought for his country and defended his country from invasion and that kind of thing. So he's kind of taken on taken on that kind of that kind of uh, role. Interesting. Um, so that's kind of interesting because you know obviously he was he's a historical ruler and you know a, a previous ruler there. So yeah, of course, you know he's not yeah he's not um, you know he's not fictional. Um, right. So I think that's I think that's that's interesting. It is. It's very interesting. Thank you for clarifying all of that. Um, I knew there was going to be some kind of story there. I knew it couldn't be that you know A to B direct dot. This was the guy and he was bathing in blood and all that. Um, now, I have one last thing to ask you about, and then maybe I guess we'll move toward wrapping up. This has been a fascinating conversation, but I have to ask you about this. It seems that there are some traits or some things that we think about or look at with some of these creatures that are really just one person's idea that somehow caught hold. You know, the the sunlight thing with Nosferatu is a great example of that. Somebody thought of that, wrote mm-hmm. it into the story, and there it is, right? And it's the yes. and and it's somebody trying to make it different from the source material, Dracula. Right? So it's literally <laughs> maybe to maybe to avoid litigation, right? Uh. And here we have this major, what turned out to be a major decision on the part of vampire lore, because from there on out, vampires are pretty much defined that way. If you see vampires running around the daytime, you're like, hey, wait a second, that's not right. Just from that one decision point. Later, we move forward to now, and we face other individual decisions that I that I think are individual decisions. That's why I wanted to ask you about it with this sort of intro of this is Stephanie Meyer, right, with the Twilight series, uh, which I absolutely despise. I, I, I cannot stand any part of that. Uh, but the sparkly skin. They sparkle in the sunlight, right? Not only can her vampires come out during the day, but they fucking sparkle, right? So I'm... What do you think of that personally, for one? And then two, is that based on something earlier or is that just Stephanie Meyer making stuff up? Um, so in terms of uh, Sparks, I don't really get into that into the in the book. I do recall there was there was one belief where some people believe that the vampire kind of had like a life cycle to it. It didn't just kind of like pop out of the ground. And for a while it was incorporeal. It didn't have a body. And then it would kind of like get a body afterwards. Hmm. And I think there was one reference to like, it had kind of spark. They would, you would see sparks or something like that when it was incorporeal or, or something. So I, I I vaguely remember, remember that, but in terms of like a vampire kind of like, 
um, kind of sparkling in the sun or something like that. Not so much. One, one of the accounts also had a vampire. I'm sorry. I'm just sort of thinking on the fly here. Yeah, yeah. One of the accounts ha- had a, had a, like when the vampire got a new body, it kind of had like kind of a misty aura about it or something like that. Um, there's a lot of stories and it's, <laughs> it's hard to keep them all straight sometimes. Um, I try my, I try my best. That's why I wrote it all down in a book. No, um, dude, and, and good <laughs> on you because I'm, I, cause I, I'm just picking your brain here, but that, that is a thing about legends, lore, storytelling. I mean, that people, yeah. writers have yeah. imaginations and they right. want to bring something new and different to the genre to make their spin an original spin. And sometimes it takes hold and sometimes it doesn't. You know, I don't think I'm, Stephanie absolutely. Meyer's sparkly skin is going to continue on. I think it's going to die with her. But I'm but I'm wondering, you know, about other things. So, I, so here's the – I mean, the thing about that is, you know, when – so getting back to the – getting back to Varney the Vampire, mm-hmm. that was the first – that was that was the uh, 19th century work that introduced fangs. So Varney had fangs. Yep. Right? So that was a new th- – so that was like a new concept. Right. It mentions it had they had he had fangs and it mentions the um, the two bite marks in the neck. Uh, right. But come from the fangs. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So before that, vampires didn't have fangs. couple mentions of vampires having elongated teeth, which like people often I think a modern reader reads that. Oh, those are the fangs. It's like, well, it didn't say fangs. It said they had long they had longer teeth. And there's like right. only a couple references to that. Right. right. Um, so so so. When people read Varney for the first time, the, the fangs, it's like that, that kind of, st- that, that stuck, right? It was like, it was good. It resonated with the audience and it got incorporated. It got incorporated into future incarnations of the vampire. So this, so the vampire is always growing and changing. So I know, so, you know, some folks have a, have kind of like the, the idea of what a vampire is supposed to be and then kind of you know, they, they, they don't necessarily kind of like, you know, so maybe a new interpretation or changes or something like that. But the thing of it is, is that it's always been changing. It's right. been changing for hundreds of years and it, and it will continue, you know, and it will likely continue to do so. Um, so will the, will the spark, will the sparkles stick around? It depends. There's a lot of, I mean, those are, that was, that was a big, you know, book series and a big movie series. A lot of people, you know, sort of grew up with that and it's, you know, kind of part of, you know, kind of part of their ideas about vampires and stuff like that. So when those people go on, you know, some of them may become movie makers or authors and are they going to incorporate that? Because that's what, that's what resonates with them. Right. It's hard to say. I mean, I was, I, you know, I was uh, thinking the other day, you know, it's, it's, you know, in another hundred, you know, if I had written this book a hundred years, you know, a hundred years in the future, right. Is someone going to be like, Oh, you know, like the way I was talking about Bram Stoker, like you can't overstate what Bram Stoker did. Like, will they, will they be saying that about, you know, Stephanie Meyer? So it's, it's hard. <laughs> God, it's I hard. It's hard to know. I know. Um, <laughs> I, I know. It's, it's so hard to know. You, you're and making think, a, you're spot on. You are absolutely correct. And so of course, I have no leg to stand on when I say the classic vampire trope <laughs> is. I, I'm well aware of that. This is a multi-generational thing, and that's what happens is one generation has their classic view, and then the next generation changes it up because that's what we do. That is what we do. And I think it just it depends on what speaks to the people and the culture at the time. That's right. Right. So you look you look at, you know, the 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 vampire, the vampire legends and accounts from, you know, uh, you know, from folklore. 
Um, and you know, like we said, like that was that was the vampires fulfilling a need there, right? There was there was uh, you know there was a need for explanation and for blame and you know for some for some kind of solution. Um, and so you know it it fit the need. Um, you know that's what it that's that's that was its purpose. You know when we look at the vampire nowadays, well, kind of what what gets brought up a lot about the vampire nowadays? Well, we, we, we understand, you know, we understand that people can get, you know, people can catch diseases and infections, stuff like that. We understand changes in the weather or whatever, or, um, or those kinds of things. Um, but nowadays I feel like a lot, a lot oftentimes what's talked about with vampires a lot is their immortality. They stay young forever. They stay, you know, they stay beautiful forever. Um, and that kind of thing. And I think that comes, I think that's emphasized a lot more now because it resonates with us because, aging and death haven't yet been defeated by science. That's a really good and point. So, it's a good point. So, yeah. So I think that's oftentimes the focus of the vampires now is that you have this creature that has overcome death, but they pay a price for that. Right. They're now cursed in some fashion because of that. So again, that, that, that also might be speaking to us in a way that says like, Maybe, you know, nature, you know, the the course of nature shouldn't be subverted and there's a price to pay if it is. And so that might be what resonates with audiences today. That's right. And that's been, um, I was just thinking of The Hunger. Just had to look up the title, right? The, the mm. um, 1983, um, Tony Scott directed Catherine Deneuve, David Bowie, and Susan Sarandon in a vampire movie. And it was, these vampires were like, really old i mean these guys went back to egypt you know uh with their immortality and so they had these little knives with onks they didn't have the fangs they had these little <laughs> knives they would use but you know so everybody has their own spin on it but the but the the reason i thought of that was the um concentration on immortality and in fact I, this is gonna this is for my viewers for those of you who know my background and all that which of course should be most of you um, you know, I was very heavily involved in uh, a cult for a long time. And one of the key tenets of that group was immortality, achieving immortality, not bodily immortality, but spiritual immortality. You would, you know, your body will die, but you go get another one. And I believe that for years. I don't believe it anymore. I, you know, I've definitely moved on from that. But uh, one of the things that actually intrigued me the most about vampires as a teen, as a kid, before I even got into the whole culty thing, was the immortality. And I used to think that was a great thing. Like, that would be just the best thing ever to have. And, the, and, and being a vampire is the best way to do it. Because as a zombie, you're falling apart. You know, you're, you're literally decomposing in front of everybody. Vampires... You know, for however they do it, and I'd seen enough interpretations over the years to know there were different ways or means or variations on the on the theme, but however it was done, they got to live forever in a body that looked awesome. Mm. You know, however that was done. So so right. even for me, that was one of the original appeals of vampires again in our modern times. So I, I agree, mm. I, I get that point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, I, I think that's kind of how it's, how it's evolved and how it speaks to us now. And, you know, in the future in another hundred years, 200 years, 
what's going to resonate with with the culture then and the audiences then who's to say how, who, who knows how the vampire will will continue to change and adapt itself to kind of stay you know stick around and uh you know kind of haunt the place exactly exactly well ap listen man i want to really want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to be part of my show and and, and converse with me here about this i have found your information wonderful and uh and enlightening and uh and giving me more about something i absolutely love which i have never ever ever had an opportunity to share with my audience so um so thank you for that oh well thank you very much for having me i enjoyed talking to you yeah it's a good time um and i'm going to remind everybody out there the book is vampires of lore traits and modern misconceptions and it was released on Schiffer Publishing this past October. So where can they get it? Sure. So <clears throat> you can get it from sort of all the main all the kind of main online booksellers, you know, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. Um right. I think like target.com has it. Um uh you can uh you can go to like your local bookstore and ask if they can get it for you. I think they should be able to get it for you. Um last time I checked, I think it was in stock in some Barnes and Nobles locations in like uh, New York and LA areas. Um, so kind of, you know, where, wherever you, wherever you get your books, check for it. And, uh, if they don't have it, ask. Excellent. Wherever fine books are sold. Wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> All right. And then they can find you on your website, locationsoflore.com. Link below in the show notes and description to this video. And they can find you on Twitter at AP Sylvia Writes with a W. AP Sylvia Writes. So uh, check them out on Twitter and uh, check out that book. I think you guys will be uh, pretty happy with it if it's covering even, you know, the, the kind of stuff we've been talking about today because this has been interesting. Oh, well, thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, folks. Uh, any, uh, well, comments, of course, go ahead and leave them in the comments section. And um, I am interested in your feedback on this episode. Actually, I will be looking because I'm, I'm curious if, if forays of this kind are of, of any real interest to my audience. I certainly hope they are because I would love to do more dives into this kind of stuff just because I love talking about the fantasy and horror stuff when I get opportunities to, which is hardly ever given the nature of most of what I talk about. Um, kind of its own horror show with cults. But anyway, um, if you are finding this show entertaining, informative, and educational, and I hope you are, then please consider signing up with me on Patreon. Link below and in the show notes uh, at sensiblyspeaking.com. This is uh, a fan-funded show, and you guys are keeping me afloat here and allowing me to continue making this content for you and doing the best job I know how to do so. So thank you very much for your viewership and your support, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.